On this episode of 1.21 Gigawatts, we learn what it takes to run a successful series of comic book conventions. Courtesy of Dave O'Hare and Sal Zerzolo, the organizers behind the Garden State Comic Fest. Plus, we reconvene the Relationship Advice Panel, tips for nerds by nerds, and one very special celebrity guest. Now, straight from the villain's rink at Men in Arena, this is 1.21 Gigawatts! Hey there, and welcome to 1.21 Gigawatts, episode number 25 for February 2018. I'm your host, Brad Barton. This podcast is meant to shine a spotlight on the aspects of geek pop culture that I think are cool and noteworthy and should be celebrated. And I intend to do that not only by bringing you interviews with the creators of that nerdly awesomeness, but also with a series of rotating segments and features that take a deep dive into a specific geeky topic. It's that time of year again that is associated with love and blissful feelings in general, especially if you're a Marvel Studios executive swimming in all that Black Panther cash. I'm of course speaking about Valentine's Day, which granted is a few weeks past, but if you're lucky you can still find those little candy hearts on clearance. And the general sense that spring is, relatively, right around the corner. Not to play into stereotypes, but those of us who self-identify as nerds or geeks or pop culture enthusiasts or gamers or cosplayers or any of the other incredible flavors of the fan community are sometimes cut from a different cloth. Our passions run high, and those passions may or may not translate well to the fine art of creating and maintaining a successful romantic relationship. Well, we at 1.21 Geekawatts believe that everyone is entitled to romantic happiness if they so desire, which is why we've once again assembled a group of peers to share their guidance and experiences. First of all, some introductions. Our first panelist is Gordon Float, the editor-writer PR contact of the blog SorcererSCondo.com. He is a graduate of the John Carpenter School of Musical Composition. His areas of expertise include looms, Torino pizza rolls, and standing in darkened closets. Welcome back, Gordon. Hey Brad, I'm I'm sorry I didn't hear you earlier. Um, I didn't realize my 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 ferret stepped on the mute button. I was talking to you and you were talking to me and they wouldn't hear me talking. So uh, so that's why. Good good talking with you. Our second panelist is Gregory Plymouth Hastings. He is a former yeah. FPS pro gamer turned mobile RPG gamer known as Azeroth Defiler. He used to run the popular YouTube show MinMax until it was shut down for violating copyright laws. Now he moderates RPG FPS mashup subreddit thread Akimbo Fireball. Welcome back, Gregory. Thank, thank you so much for having me back on said program. I am much appreciative of the honor you have bestowed upon me in the land of Nye. The honor is all mine. Our final panelist comes to us from Gotham City, a town known for its prized institutions such as the Flugelheim Museum, the Monarch Theater, and somewhat more infamously, Arkham Asylum, which is where our third panelist joins us from tonight. I assume he's feeding quarters into the payphone to be with us. Nigel, welcome to the panel. Ah, thank you. Do you spell your name with two H's or three fives? Mm. Mm. It's mm. 
I think he's stamping out his answer like a horse. That's that's okay. I've been there. You know what, Gordon? Let's start with you with question number one. Um, Pokegal writes, At DragonCon this year, I cosplayed as Team Rocket's Jesse and made, met a fellow cosplayer dressed as Meowth, and we hung out all weekend. There was definitely a spark, and we planned to see each other again, but we never saw each other out of costume, and I'm afraid that getting together as regular people will be boring. Any advice? What do you think, Gordon? That's going to be hard for them to put an egg in the incubator, <laughs> I'd say. <laughs> good point. Good point. Gordon, what do you think? Oh, all, right, all right, all right. Okay, so um, here's the deal is, uh, you know, you could do this one of two ways, really. You could, um, you know, you could, uh, you could meet each other, say, you know, um, um, you could plan a meeting and one could wear like a red rose and the other one could wear, just be wearing just a necktie and a diaper so you recognize each other in a, in a crowd. But um, I think the way I would go is this, is I would, uh, I would just keep the costumes. You're already familiar. You know each other's things. I mean, it is Jesse and Meowth and that is some interest species coupling. <laughs> but they haven't taken that away from us yet, right? No, they, they haven't. I'm not sure we ever had it for them to take away, but good point. So, uh, you know, so the heart wants what the heart wants, Brad. And if the heart wants to be spitting out furry hair half the night, then that's what the heart wants. Yes, it does. What a lovely image. Uh, Craigery, let's move on to you. Uh, Here's another question. Leia from Billund writes, My new boyfriend is becoming a real freeloader. I'm paying more and more when we go out, and now he's sleeping on my couch. I feel like I'm dating a free mobile game, but now it's nothing but a series of in-game purchases. Oh, Craigery, what do you do in that situation? Well, that's very simple. Um... I think it's really important that she understands the compulsion loop in her living room and she begins to microtransact accordingly. For example, if he wishes to sit on the couch, that could be a transaction of, say, five cents per five minutes. And of course, you could ensure that, you know, if he's going to spend time there as well, you could ensure that you microtransact everything within the refrigerator, including the milk. I like that. I, so it's sort of like the, almost the concept of like a swear jar, but a variety of different jars based on different actions in, in, their, in their lives, in their apartment. Yes, it's also important, though, that everything that he microtransacts, there's also a grind path towards it so that, say, he was going to sit on the couch and spend five cents, well, he could also do good deeds and earn good deeds currency, which could then be traded in for the currency of the microtransaction for said couch. Uh, I, I think I still follow. I appreciate that. I think that makes uh, a lot of sense. Um, thank you. I'm, I'm, a grind path towards love. That is a, uh, a greeting card just waiting to be purchased. I, I really like that. Um, Nigel, we've got a question for you. Uh, Jamie from New York writes, I'm interested in making a big impression with someone I've got a crush on and try a sweeping romantic gesture. Is there a poem or a song that you've used to successfully woo a partner? Has anything along those lines worked for you in the past, Nigel? Something 
Hugo Strange has asked me to uh, focus on. I have, I have to take this elixir now again. It helps me. Um, yes, yes. The last mm, romantic um, entwining I had, I was 16, and her name was Jennifer Crosswick. Ah, Jennifer Crosswick. I first... Um, thought the gesture that would most appeal to her heart was to present her with a kitten. <laughs> and I did. It was a stuffed kitten. I stuffed it. But it was already her kitten. And she didn't want it stuffed. So <laughs> I wrote a poem. I did. And it went... Uh, Ode to Jennifer uh, Crosswick. Um, I sat upon a waterfall, looking at the fishes, counting all my blessings, uh, counting all her wishes. I spotted all her freckles. I dotted both her eyes. I whispered to her bosom. <laughs> I gently stoked her thighs. But as it drew to midnight, I could contain myself no more. I took the deepest breath I could and nailed her to my door. And now her heart beats next to mine from beneath my bedroom floor. <laughs> I had that as a tribute to Edgar Allan, Wallace Allan Poe. And then the elixir. That yeah. was very effective. I, I would think so. I, I don't know how anyone, quite honestly, could hear that and, and not be stirred to, to some degree. Absolutely. Mm, I would stirred. make too much money if I microtransacted every single word in that poem. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, go, yeah, Gordon, uh, I, I can hear you. Do, you. do you have something that you'd like to add to that? Well, first of all, uh, consider me stirred too. <laughs> that was uh, that was something. I got to tell you, that was a wow. Need it, a breath. It okay. is in, it is oh, impactful. Man. It's impactful. Gordon, let's uh, let's give you another question. Actually, TK one thousand eight writes: I am a Star Wars fan fiction writer and a member of the five hundred first Legion. I've been dating someone for a few Wait, weeks. Uh, uh, hold, yeah. Hold on, yes, sir. On, yes, Gordon. One second. Hold on. God damn it, Pazuzu, get down! Get down! Off! Off, Pazuzu! Off! Sorry about that. Fair was trying to drive home my DVR or something. I don't know. Okay, go 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 ahead. Uh, I hope that Pazuzu might Pazuzu might end up as a, as a stuffed animal if uh, Pazuzu doesn't play <laughs> cards correctly. Not too far off. What are you looking at, Pazuzu? Okay, go ahead. Okay, let's let's try this one again. Uh, TK1008 writes, I am a Star Wars fan fiction writer, a member of the 501st Legion. I've been dating someone for a few weeks, and it's going great. But I just learned that she's never seen any Star Wars movies. What if she doesn't like them? Can our budding love survive a blow like that? So I guess this question could be more universal, right? It doesn't need to be Star Wars. But what happens when when one partner is really into one thing, the other partner, not so much. Can love survive, Gordon? You know, this is a quandary I find myself in more often than not. Like, I started seeing this girl recently. 
she was the whole package, man. She loved thrash metal. She loved she loved horror movies. She loved sideshows. She was diabetic and a cutter. Just the whole package, you know. So uh, uh, I, I really thought things were going to go well. And uh, so, you know, I, I, I brought her home. I told her we're going to have a special night, a little movie night. I made her some, 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 some buttered popcorn, popped myself. Uh, I have my own home-brewed root beer. I brought that on, and I settled into what I thought was going to be a very romantic movie marathon of the Human Centipede series. Yep, yep. Now, <clears throat> any thinking man would realize that this is gold. This is money in the bank, lightning in a bottle, a head in a jar. But but that's not what happened. Um, we got maybe, maybe uh, you know, halfway through the second one. Sure. She falls asleep. Oh. She falls asleep. Who could do that? So, I, you know, if, I don't understand why this always happens. It just seems like if you really love something and you want to show it to someone that you really love, they should love it. At least on a little, little, bit of bait, a little, little, bit of bit of bit of bit of level. But, you know, when you get down, when it comes to Star Wars, I mean, come on. Like, let's just get with the program. I don't, I'm, I'm going to try to hold my cuss tongue a little bit here. But yeah. I just have to say that. Star Wars is a universal truth. Everybody should love it, no matter how many movies or toys or anything they make. You know what? When the world's going to hell, Star Wars is going right. And if, we, if being right is wrong, I don't want to. I got lost. But you know what I mean. I, I do. That's the most patriotic thing I've heard all day. When the world goes to hell, I hire Dr. Afra and her two droids, BT and Triple Zero. They are very effective. I find BT Triple Zero a little unrealistic sometimes. He's a little too uh, too too potty tongued and and mean to actually be a protocol droid. I, I find I find uh, BT and Triple Zero to be quite effective. And if somebody uh, fell asleep during the middle of a Star Wars movie, for example, I would find that they would have to be terminated with extreme prejudice. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think we all agree with that, as uh, as everyone's giggles uh, attest. Absolutely, Gregory. I want to jump to you for for the next question. Uh, You're welcome for that deep cut. Yes, go ahead. <laughs> I, I appreciate that, and I'd like to settle the bet between you two. Uh, BT and Triple Zero are excellent, so we're on the same page. I'm happy that I could settle that. Uh, Andy from Jacksonville writes, My sweetheart and I have been dating for two years. We couldn't be happier. I don't know where my comic book collection ends and hers begins. And we even got a kitten together, little Gamera. I think I'm ready to pop the question, but the idea of a lifelong commitment scares me a little. How can I get past that? I know, right. The, uh, a new cat has entered the picture. So, so the question boils down to this person's ready to pop the question, but um, is maybe understandably nervous. How can they get past that, Gregory? Hmm. I always find when I feel a little bit nervous, it's important to ground myself and root myself in the things that make me feel whole. For example, popping caps in people in a round of domination, or perhaps grabbing tags, popping tags in a round of kill confirmed. Sometimes I just find that I need to just, you know, load up a, a quick round of Heroes Charge and, and farm some Hero Souls and, and level up my mage. But that's neither here nor there. If you, what was the question again? 
<laughs> the the question basically boils down to uh, feeling comfortable and secure in in popping the question and making a big commitment, even though you know every, you know everything is is right, but you still have to get over that last hump, right? That's that's exactly correct. You know, I find that if I've engaged in all the things that bring me comfort and I'm still feeling like my radar is a little off with things, then then usually it might be that there's a psychological defect with the other person and that perhaps I need to listen to my spidey sense and perhaps um, extract myself from the situation. In a manner like that, there are a couple routes that you can go if you need to pull the ripcord and, and jump off the top of a, the building of love, if you will. <laughs> um, the most effective way to extract oneself from a relationship is you could just simply choose to not show up and not call. It's concerning for the others and it might result in you know, them calling the police and filing a missing persons report and then you get found out when you're living in a squatter's home. Or you can confront them face to face, but I have to tell you it's really overrated to look somebody in the eyes and tell them what you feel. I'm all for just holding it in, bottling it up and going on a cruise. <laughs> that that sounds very healthy, I'm gonna say. Um, sure, bottle it in, hold it in, go on a cruise, and yes, uh, bite the bullet. Exciting and new. Hey, so let, of me, course. Let, me, let me ask you something. You. Hmm, strangely have you ever familiar. Cosplayed as Meowth? Ooh, uh, no, but I have been a Bulbasaur. Figures. We're, we're, we're getting weirdly personal. Uh, and we've got one more question, and I'd like to throw it back to Nigel. Uh, Ridley from Maplewood writes, I just started a new relationship with a partner who's a bit wild, and I feel hesitant to let myself go. Do you ever just go with it and allow yourself to do something really crazy? There's, there's the elixir. When I was with my friend Cobblepot, we agreed that um, something really crazy you shouldn't do just for one day of the year. Mm. Something really crazy you should do every day of the year. And that way, the person you love knows how much you love them. Um, one thing I've done previously is to pull out two of their teeth whilst they're sleeping and present them with two newly minted silver dollar coins, a gift from the Tooth Fairy. That's always a pretty concept and one that a lover could appreciate. Um, or, or go to the nearest cemetery and collect all the fresh flowers on the graves and bury your partner with those flowers when they get home. And it won't cost you a cent. That's not such a crazy thing, actually. I think that's something a lot of people do. Sure. You think pulling teeth out is very crazy either. I, I have to dispute the term crazy. <laughs> I do. <laughs> crazy for one person is sanity for another. And personally, I think any of these gestures you choose, stuffing your loved one's cat, pulling their teeth, presenting them with dead people's flowers, I think that truly is a token of love that cannot be denied. I truly 
I, I would agree with that. Um, the, uh, the specific techniques might vary from person to person, but I, I think that there's some uh, lovely sentiments in there. If you're going to go crazy, go, go 365 days a year. I like that. Uh, Nigel, I think that we've been privileged to be able to see the world through your eyes, and I hope that nothing ever happens to, that, to those eyes and that, uh, that specific point of view. That's a very sore point. On that note, my friends, it's time to close the books on the second annual 1.21 Gigawatts Relationship Advisors Panel. We encourage you all to jump off the building of love and find your happiness out there. Gordon, Gregory, and Nigel, thanks so much for sharing your excellent advice and insights. Remember, listeners, if your heart's in a jam, you know where we am. Take care, and thanks again, everyone. I'll say. I'll say See no evil. Do no evil. Say no evil. Do no evil. <laughs> <laughs> Over the last 15 years or so, comic book conventions have become omnipresent in American pop culture. They may be pop culture monsters like San Diego Comic-Con, which has less to do with actual comic books and more to do with previewing the following 12 months worth of genre movies, TV, gaming, etc. that will dominate America's attention span. Or maybe the comic book show in question is a small affair with a couple vendors having set up their long boxes in a church basement somewhere. Whether big, small, or somewhere in between, you might find yourself wondering, who puts these events together? What does it take to make a show like that? And maybe you attend one and out of the corner of your eye, you see a guy moving quickly from one location on the show floor to another mid-conversation on a cell phone while juggling paperwork. And you know what? That's the guy. That's your show organizer. And lucky us, we get to hear from two of them. Business partners Dave O'Hare and Sal Zerzolo break down their time in the trenches with comic book conventions, both as fans and as the founders and organizers of the Garden State Comic Fest, which will have its next and biggest installment to date in Atlantic City on April 7th and 8th. Incredibly, I was able to get both of these busy guys together in the same room to talk. That room was the Hibernia Diner in Rockaway, New Jersey, where we ate some french fries and nerded out about conventions. If you're a comic book enthusiast living in the Northeast, you may be aware of one of the fastest growing, most enthusiastically received comic book conventions in the region, the Garden State Comic Fest. In the next couple months, the Garden State Comic Fest empire will grow in new and exciting ways with three festivals, count them three, over the course of four months. Oof. Dave O'Hare and Sal Zerzolo are the two creators, organizers, promoters of the show, and we're going to talk all about the road they've taken to get to this point, and we'll learn about their secrets and how one begins to take the leap from attending conventions to running conventions. I don't know when you guys sleep. Gentlemen, welcome to 1.21 Gigawatts. Thank you. Thank you. Sure sure thing. Um, I want to start, let's do the origin stories in a way. Dave, what was the first convention that you went to? What And what, what stood out to you? What appealed to you about convention going? Well, the first convention I ever went to, uh, you're putting me way back. Uh, it was probably one of John Paul, JP's shows. Uh, he runs the local shows in the area. He's been doing it for over 20 years. And my father took me there as a kid. And it was kind of cool. Um, I remember buying some comic books and stuff as a kid there. Um, 
and then I was out of the scene for a while. I had gotten back into it because uh, I actually started investing in comic book art mm. off of a uh, friend's uh, advice. <laughs> and uh, it turns out I love the art so much that I buy it and now I can't sell it because it's, uh, yeah, I'm stuck. So it's, uh, but that, that's how I actually got into the conventions. So you're not retiring on the comic book art one day? Maybe one day, maybe but one. Uh, not right now. Sure. And uh, what happened was uh, I went to New York Comic Con uh, about eight years ago uh, when it was still uh, new, and I said to myself, wow, why don't we have something like this in New Jersey? It would, it would take off so well. And uh, one night we were playing uh, poker, and uh, a friend of mine bet me 20 bucks that I wouldn't do something like that. And, uh, well, I went out and spent a couple thousand bucks to win that 20 bucks because, <laughs> and that's basically how Garden State Comic Fest started. Uh, it was a $20 poker bet. Like, like all of life's big decisions. Yes. Right. The decision to enter into convention organization all around the poker table for sure. Um, Sal, what about you? Do you remember elements of early convention going that really made an impact on you? Oh, yeah. I, I remember one of the most fun conventions. It actually was run by my younger brother, uh, Vincent Zerzolo and Mike Carbonara. They put on the Big Apple Con in New York. And uh, I remember going to the first few. You know, it was small in the basement of a church. And... Uh, I just one of those. you I did oh okay yeah in the basement of a church in the basement Upper west side yeah right? he got my father who's a chef to to cook food and sell food <laughs> you know they had a band playing all kinds of co comic book uh, themed uh, theme music and uh, from that moment I just loved it and then when New York Comic Con came on the scene I used to love those and uh, right after uh, Dave made that bed I was out of work for a little while and I said let me help you out and. Uh, we, uh, we put on our first very small show in Ledgewood, New Jersey, and uh, as a kind of a test, and it worked. So we, uh, we decided to keep, keep growing it, and we have uh, you know, some goals in mind, and we seem to be hitting them all. Yeah. So both of you obviously were, were uh, really inspired by a lot of the, the cons that you've been going to and New York Comic Con, a little, little bit of a fire, but still, $20 poker bets aside, how do, you, how do you take your enthusiasm for comics and pop culture and then say, oh my God, we're going to do this. We're going to take the leap and do that. Is it, is it scary at that point or is it small enough and manageable enough the early days that you think, eh, we can do this and it's not a big deal? Well, at first, it was, uh, it was just for the love of it. Uh, it was to see if we could pull it off. And uh, then we started looking at it, and we started going to a lot of shows and seeing what we didn't like mm -hmm. about other things. And, it, you know, it wasn't like we were trying to reinvent the wheel. We just wanted to make it more fan-friendly, make it... Uh, what we wanted it to be yeah. so uh, it, it's really it has a lot of our personality is in the show yeah. uh, one thing I can't stand I can't stand standing in lines I despise lines I will pay any amount of money to get away <laughs> from a line um, so that that's one of the things that we tried to do we, we love walking outside prior to the show to get the wristbands on people and and do all that kind of stuff um, so they can just walk in. Yeah, I've, uh, I think I've been outside actually once or twice at the show when, uh, when everyone comes out. And it does 
you're right, two things for sure cuts down on the inevitable weight, but mm-hmm. really sort of, I mean, it revs everyone up at the same time. Yeah. I mean, that yeah. side effect of like, it's, it's beginning before it's even begun, you guys. Right. Yeah. And, and, and another thing we like to do is we, we'll not only go outside ourselves once in a while and say hello to everybody, yeah. we'll send out cosplayers, we'll send out, you know, sometimes an artist will be walking in and we'll tell them, say hello to the people online, you know? And uh, that starts to show before the show. Yeah. And uh, you're not quite as bored just standing there. Right. Plus, we have the kind of fans that like to talk to each other too. Yeah, you you absolutely do. I think that's one of the one of the nice parts about uh, Garden State for sure is that um, walking around, I'll see a lot of the same faces, which which I like. I mean, fans, not just a, a you know folks exhibiting. We have exhibit. a diehard following for it, sure. It's a core group that really for enjoy sure. coming, and uh, yeah, it's very important to me. I mean, I, I'm very humbled that it's been able to touch so many people's lives and uh, they can't wait for it and you know this is why we're having to add extra shows because they just can't wait a year and uh, we're, we're excited about that as well so you guys have had some great guests at your previous shows, and the Atlantic City lineup, especially on the artist side, is really shaping up to be phenomenal. And I'm really curious about the process of programming and populating shows. How do you decide who to go after? How do you connect with them? Are you constantly developing relationships? I think already that's probably one of the key components of all of this. Um, tell me about that from, from the artist perspective. Well, that, that is a huge question. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> uh, it, it's always... Uh, it, it really is a mission to pull in some of the best talented artists that you can find out there. Um, we are very lucky that we live on the East Coast, where a lot of them actually live in this area. They probably do not want people to know that, but we are lucky in that sense. Um, and I am fortunate enough to have built a relationship with a lot of them over the years because I do collect artwork and Sal has great connections with uh, quite a few of them as well and uh, you know with that relationship they will do our show now the reason they keep coming back is because Garden State has become such an art-centric show. Uh, We have had some that have said they make more money at Garden State than they do at New York Comic Con. Um, I believe I can say this without getting in trouble, because they probably won't hear it anyway, but I, I was talking. <laughs> I was talking to an agent. I was talking to an agent of one of our legendary artists that did New York Comic Con for the first time this year, and she told me that it took them three days at New York to make what they make in the two days at Garden State. So uh, that that made me feel really proud because we do bring in quite a few high-end buyers from around the country. Uh, This year I met people from four different countries that were at Garden State. Yes. Indonesia? Somebody, Uh, Southeast Asia, somebody somebody came up from there. Somebody Philippines? Guam. Oh, Guam. Guam, Guam, uh, Israel, Switzerland, uh, Australia, and uh, England. And this year at Atlantic City we will have artists from four different continents at the show. That's amazing. So, yeah, we, we've really turned into one of the top art shows yeah. in the country. Yeah. 
we may not be one of the top comic cons in the country, but we are definitely one of the top art shows. You know, I, what, what's sort of interesting, I think, about what you guys do that I see otherwise, I think I was even joking before about, you know, Artist Alley or something like that, and you don't have an artist, like, not the, this is where you go to talk to the artists. Like, I feel, and you can correct me if, if, you, if you feel otherwise, but at least at the, at the shows in Morristown, that everyone is sort of dispersed around a little bit. I mean, there, it might be sort of an artist-centric area, but it, it doesn't feel like the penned-off situation that is oh, no, often the case. Not, at, not uh, like New York or well, some of the other sure big cons where you have a separate room right. for the artists. No, right. we are all in one place pretty much and uh, they're con you're right, they're concentrated in an area but, uh, but there are vendors, there are vendors there, you know, yeah. right near them. Uh, and uh, and also some of them are in the vending area as well. Uh, you know, yeah. uh, the Hildebrand is set up right outside of that area. Uh, Neil Walt Adams, Simonson. yeah, Neil Adams, yeah, Walt Simonson, uh, Bud Budiansky, yeah, uh, was out uh, uh, at the front. Uh, no. uh, are there are there potential guests out there that you've you've been chasing but you haven't been able to nail down? And I don't mean necessarily like we have an offer out. We're not going to talk about that. But even some dream scenario of like. Someday, Stanley. Someday, or is there just some, and maybe not even in the comics world? It might be a media person that you think. One name pops into my head right off the bat: Alex Ross. I want to get Alex Ross to Garden State Comic Fest, and we have done everything we possibly can up to this point. Um, I'm gonna have to come up with a new plan and attack it again this year as well. But. Um, I, I would love to see Alex Ross. I'm a huge fan of his work. Is that what it takes sometimes? Do you have to come up with a plan, or, or are there uh, different approaches to well, we to don't want to give away too much, but sure. yeah, okay. you know, it's building a relationship. It's like in any business. You know, you, you, we always say we don't make contacts; we make friends. We build relationships with people, and that comes with meeting people at different conventions over over a long period of time. Sometimes before you can get them to come out. Um, so it, it's uh, there's a lot of different strategies for that and uh, enticing them and we don't want to give away too many secrets so I'll leave it sure. at that well I will uh, I don't think this is giving away a huge secret necessarily but I think it's important to point out how salt of the earth these gentlemen are the example that comes to mind uh, involves as you just mentioned legendary illustrator Greg Hildebrandt who has been featured on this podcast thanks to you uh, who frequently appears at your shows, and you assemble his booth. Am I am I incorrect in saying that you like not built only assembled? We built his booth <laughs> thanks to Dave and some friends. Yes, because I have no uh, construction acumen. <laughs> yes, we we actually designed and engineered and built that booth out of uh, wood and foam, and it locks together. I mean, it's it's very lightweight. It can easily travel. I mean, it's. It's like a $2,000 booth. I just went way over budget trying to build it, but uh, it, it is pretty phenomenal. So aside from the fact that, that that's amazing, and I hope everyone's paying attention, and here's that that's just a wonderful thing to do. How did, how did that happen? How did that, with, with Greg, have you just known him well, for a long time? Part and of the deal. That was part of the deal in order to get Greg. He needed, he needed wall. solid he needed walls. Okay. He would not use a cage system. Nothing else was good enough. Yeah. So I said, no problem. I'll build you a booth. And they said, great, we're in. And then I hung up and went, oh, crap. <laughs> I have to build a booth. 
<laughs> um, and that, that's basically what happened. I went to another friend of ours that is a uh, designer and stuff, and you know, we, we got together, we laid out how we build it. And the materials and, and everything. Yeah, yeah, we got a team together and put it together. And now, uh, part of the deal is any other show he does in this area, he is allowed to use that booth. Sure. So I had to bring that booth into New York Comic Con this year to set up for him. And uh, yeah, that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is a good-looking booth, uh, for sure. There's that's uh, that's time well spent and money well spent, apparently as well. So so let's jump. Then finally, you've got all these personalities in one place. You've got comic book creators, uh, media personalities in some cases, vendors. Uh, does does everyone typically? play nice? Do you have border disputes that you've got to be running around dealing with on the days of the show? Well, I've, I've said this in a couple of interviews before. Running a comic convention, it is planning a wedding for 10,000 people. <laughs> um, that, that's exactly what it is. You, 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 you get engaged, you book the date, you're ready to go. You and then you start. Aunt Sophie isn't talking to Uncle Joe. <laughs> right. right. And they can't sit next to so-and-so and they have to be across the room and you go through the whole thing, you get the invitations out, nobody's responding, but you keep going. And finally, about a month out, you're, you're just ready to cancel the entire wedding. You just want to elope, you know, screw <laughs> sure. the whole thing. Then the day comes. I'm take my long boxes and go home. Right. <laughs> the day comes, it's a complete blur, you don't remember any of it, and you relive your own show in the pictures that you see afterwards. Yeah. And then you start over. Yeah. <laughs> the next day. And over. Wait, that's not how weddings work. Hold yeah, on a sec. Yeah, Wait, yeah, hold on. That is when the right. Yeah. <laughs> that's how my wedding worked. <laughs> <laughs> what what uh, what do you guys find now to be the ideal traits of a convention? We've talked about the really, I think, the sweet spot size of what the Garden State shows have been. Um, uh, is is there an ideal size? Do you wish you were bigger attendance levels? Like where where is the really perfect place that it feels really good to you guys and to the attendees? It's still profitable. What do you think? We want to be the biggest in the world. No. <laughs> uh, well, that would be great. You know, we're we're a long way off of uh, New York Comic Con or San Diego, but they started like us. You know, sure. uh, uh, roughly. You know, uh, it took them a while to get there. These days, I think it's easier because of all these great movies and, and television shows yeah. and, and geek culture and nerds being, you know, kings. accepted yep. and kings, you know, yep. forget sports fans, the you know. The have inherited yeah. the earth, for sure. Oh, yep. yeah, yeah. So um, we have a ways to go. We, we have, uh, in our own uh, business plan, have uh, certain estimated growths that we want to achieve every year. And if we do that, we're going to be in great shape and we're going to be able to continue to keep it the fan-friendly, family-friendly, art-centric, fun show that it is now. Yeah. yeah. No matter how big it is. Garden State's always been uh, very intimate, very, very fan-friendly. And that's very important to us. Um, we want to keep it that way. And it, it, it's hard because as you grow these things start tend to go away as you see in some of the major shows out there um, we don't want that and we're not going to grow to the point where we would if we can't keep the feel that we have we won't take the next step 
Um, there's always room for more attendees uh, at our shows. That's not a problem. Um, but we're we're trying to do it right by the fans, not just do it. it Right. And and another way to grow is by not just by uh, making your own one show bigger and bigger and bigger. It's doing it kind of the way we're doing it by adding other shows in uh, different locations. So uh, we can, you know, we have a model yeah. and just it's like a mold, and we just keep making more of them and, and yeah. keep the experience. The same. Sure, yeah. right. The feel remains the same. You just create more of those experiences. Right, right, right. 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 Absolutely. I'm, I'm sure you've seen, we've joked about it as we've, as we've been sitting here and have learned from misstep, uh, missteps made by other conventions, um, if, if not accidentally something that you've stumbled into over the years. Have you, have you seen or experienced any really egregiously bad situations that you've thought, note to self, be sure to limit acceptable sizes for giant cosplay swords next year or, or anything along those lines? Any, any moments that were like, ah, this is something we need to not ever do again or do at our own shows? You want to, you want to take it? No, go for it. Okay, well, <laughs> well, we've seen things at other shows. Yes. Um, there have been a few things that we've, we, we know we can tweak and we have tweaked. Yeah. You know, in, like Dave said, we hate to stand in line, so we've yeah. come up with not necessarily innovative ways that we thought of, but we've seen things work at other shows where they've been able to cut down the lines or make the lines more tolerable for people. Um, and so we've we've uh, taken all those stole ideas, those ideas. stole those ideas, <laughs> um, and uh, in some cases we've made them better. Uh, and. Uh, that's one thing. Uh, some shows we've seen brand new shows come on the scene with all this razzle dazzle and, and uh, fizzle out, fizzle out yeah. after a show or two. And uh, we learned from that that our approach is better. Start small, grow gradually. Don't start off right. thinking you're going to be New York Comic Con first yeah. time out because yeah. that's not going to work. Sure. One of the. Uh Worst, best ideas that came out of Garden State, which everybody said, you know, I was nuts, was uh, cosplay on ice. Because we are in an ice rink, and I said, hey, let's get these cosplayers on ice skates. That could be fun. And everybody went, no, that, that, that would not be fun. Turned out it was a great idea. Um, but for every great idea, of course, there, there are a couple ideas that uh, fizzle out. And uh, luckily, though, we haven't really stepped in it yet. Um, we, we've been lucky with that. Yeah. But with the ideas that pop out of our heads, yeah, eventually something is going to uh, backfire. But uh, for right now, we, we've, uh, you know, keep coming out smelling great. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. Well, I want to talk about... Um as you mentioned the idea of just sort of replicating the small intimate experience that that feels good to you in multiple places with, with something that I would feel like on paper you know what we're where we're gonna do a convention in a theme park and uh, and the fact that it works it it hits so how in the world did the six flags situation come about even in the first place um, okay, I'll take they came to us. That's really? that's really it. They, that's incredible. You know, uh, hey, uh, you know what? While we're at it, sure. Atlantic City came to us. Yeah. We didn't fish around for these the opportunities. People heard about our show and about the success we've achieved, 
and they've come to us and said, hey, Showboat, we're here on the phone with you. We want you to come down and think, talk to us about doing a comic convention for us. I said, fine, let's go talk, and yeah. that happened. Great adventure, same thing. Hey, uh, we want to do a Comic-Con in the park. Uh, what do you think? I said, okay, let's talk, and next thing you know, we're doing our second one, May 27th this year. So uh, we're, we're basically the victims of our own success. <laughs> and great adventure, I remember that was... Uh that was my Seinfeld moment, pitching that inside the uh, conference room with all the corporate people down there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that was great. What are the logistics of a show like that? I'll admit I have not I have not been to the Great Adventure edition yet, but uh, that I don't I don't know. To take a step back, just sounds so like all right. So here's the Batman coaster. Here's the little DC area, and we're gonna set up some tables right in the middle. We're gonna set up some tables, set up some tents, and just hold a mini con inside the park. Love and yeah. and that's exactly what it is. It's like your VFW con out there. <laughs> it's it's just a very small. You get to enjoy some of the books and some of the toys and stuff along with. An entire world that's dedicated to almost to DC and Time Warner. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you have uh, Bugs Bunny and Superman. It, it they come together. Yeah. Well, and literally, Dean Cain is going to be at the show again this year. Sure, yes. And last year we brought in uh, John Wesley Ship. We brought in the Flash. So, uh, you know, the fans love it. Uh, everybody gets to meet him. Uh, last year they also did a very nice. Uh, it was a uh, it was a day for police officers mm. in honor of uh, what they do. Yeah. Heroes uh, of uh, New Jersey, basically, right? Something like something like they, that. They were running a summer of superheroes promotion mm -hmm. to because they were opening up a new ride, and uh, that's originally why they wanted us to come in and promote it. Unfortunately, that ride wasn't ready by the time of the con, <laughs> but we set up in front of the Joker ride, and we and were great. The Harley Quinn ride was down the road. We had uh, four tents, uh, a little tent for John Wesley's ship, a uh, bigger tent for our vendors, another tent for artists, another tent for, for our kids' Comic-Con section, and we couldn't believe the reception we got. We had... Not only was John Wesley Ship being asked for photographs and taking photographs, but uh, our cosplayers who were there were being nice. mobbed. And uh, yeah. even which is a big thing because cosplay is not allowed in Great right, Adventure. Right. Yeah. yeah, that's sort of a no-no in a lot of theme parks. So that was a yeah. well, big we, negotiation we had to work out. Yeah, we could bring in a limited number of DC-themed cosplayers, and uh, they were they did great. Do you, Do you get the sense? What, what was the sense of the amount of people that came in for you guys versus were just there for a day at the park and like, what the hell is this? <laughs> I would love to be able to answer that. I, we really, they had no way of really tracking, tracking that. that. They had some discount codes and specials that they ran, I think. Through us. Through us. We, we but, had discount codes and stuff. But, it, but again, a lot of our fans are season pass holders at Great Adventure. Ah, uh, sure. Yeah. And they get in for free. So it, it's very hard. Uh, the one way I can describe how well that went over and it was specific for the comic-con was john wesley's ship line never ended all day yeah he he must have signed 500 autographs that day yeah not only that some of the artists we had there anthony marquez who's now the editor of dynamite comics and owns the store uh dewey's comic shop and is a great uh, artist in his own right i just saw him the other day and he says when's great adventure coming uh. I, I had one of my best days ever there, so he's dying to get back there. So it was lucrative for everybody, and uh, uh, 
and just a lot of fun. Yeah. Just something, just so different being in the middle of a theme. Sure. And now a bunch of amusement yeah, rides. Absolutely. So let's segue into what the what the next big show is. Of course, that's Atlantic City. So when they they reached out to you, which is fantastic, that is a sign. It's a significant step forward, larger than what you're doing. So how did how was that received? Like, did one of you get off the phone and call the other and say? Oh boy! Guess who we just heard from, and what do you think? And do we want to do this? And that's basically how it went. Um, <laughs> Transcript. Yeah, I uh, I got the initial got the offer, and uh, I said okay. Um, let me talk to my partner, and we'll get back to you. And you know, we discussed it, we talked about it. Um, Atlantic City could use something like that, and and we really loved the idea that we were actually putting ourselves a lot of people don't like Atlantic City Atlantic City's been falling apart for a number of years in New Jersey but it is a great city and it does have so much potential uh, and we'd really like to be part of that as New Jerseyans uh, we want to see it grow we want to see it come back and we want to see it to be a family destination not only gamblers so uh, we went back to them and said okay well we'll do it but this is what we want and uh, we, we came to terms and uh, you know now, now we're gonna see if we can actually pull it off uh, but being able to market to Philadelphia New York as well as the Baltimore Washington Delaware area um, it's really putting us in a sweet spot to great metropolises around us. Yeah. So. Um, well, I uh, find it a lot of fun actually following uh, Garden State on Facebook, of course, because I feel like every day or every other day or so at least, there's another announcement of uh, guess who's coming yeah. and these great bios and um, my mouth is watering just like, oh man, they're going to be there, they're going to be there, they're going to be there. Yeah, we, we have a great person taking care of the Facebook uh, oh, no, writing no, out no, those no, bios. No, 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 no. <laughs> He's talking about himself. Don't, uh, don't make it. <laughs> didn't think I was going to let you get away with that, did you? <laughs> Actually, Dave does a good job on that. I don't want his ego to his head to explode, so I won't compliment him anymore. Unless there's a spelling error, and then I get a call right away. Yeah, hey, uh, fix this typo. That's not how you spell Cybertronic Spree. What are you doing? <laughs> which which is cool. You guys have music for the first time. First time? I yeah. shouldn't say first time. Maybe there has been uh, music no, in the past. No, no. First time we're going to have a band do a concert after the show. It's a... Well, C3, we did have a DJ and a burlesque show, but that technically that, wasn't Garden that wasn't State. Garden so. State, right. That was a cosplay <laughs> show that we also uh, ran. Right. Um, but, yeah, no, Cybertronic Spree, they're fantastic. They, For those of you who don't know, they basically dress up like the Transformers and play some great uh, music, uh, comic-themed some of it, and some of it is... Uh, 80s, it's 90s. Based off of the cartoons. It's, yeah. The 80s and 90s. Yeah. yeah. And it's really. And they do some of their original stuff. And they're, right. Uh, they're a I, band based out of Toronto, Canada. And we're bringing them down for this. Um, and the Transformer theme, I mean, you got Hot Rod and RC and Rumble and Soundwave they and look Ultron. Amazing. Yeah, they, or Unicron. Uh, they, they really do. And uh, they and put they out a really, They're really good. They're, yeah. they're not just up there bad musicians playing in costume they're sure. good musicians and I, which kills me because I can barely you know hack away at a guitar sitting down in a chair and these guys are in these elaborate uniforms yep. you know uh, costumes 
I should say. And uh, yeah, and we're putting that in uh, North Jersey. This is something else that it doesn't allow us to do. Sure. We have the former House of Blues, the Bourbon Room. It's, I mean, this incredible. is this yeah. is where the Black Eyed Peas and you know uh, Bon Jovi and these yeah. groups have played. So this is just an amazing venue for yeah. them. This is the biggest venue they've ever played in. So we so, won't have uh, cosplay on ice, but we will have the Cybertronic <laughs> Spring. Right, right. <laughs> and if we can get it a little warmer, I'm thinking cosplay volleyball one of these days. Because we do <laughs> have the beach. Yes, that's right. That'll go spectacularly well. I have no doubt. I, I'm on the team with Dr. Octopus, you guys. <laughs> So um, let's break down these important upcoming dates for the Garden State Comic Fests in review. Up first is Atlantic City, edition of the Showboat Hotel. Um, what are the dates on that again? April 7th and 8th at April's, the Showboat Hotel. April 7th and 8th. Then Six Flags Great Adventure edition on May 27th with Dean Kane. As we said, finally, the primary show, The Mothership, returns in Morristown on July 7th and 8th at the Menin Arena. Uh, and if you're listening to this, you can get all kinds of updates at GardenStateComicFest.com. And seriously, that Facebook page, I'm telling you, it is a good read. There are volumes, volumes <laughs> to learn about these creators. Yeah. I've got to say, actually, I'm so grateful for, for what you guys have done. Uh, a, because it's a great show. Maybe my favorite out there right now. Oh, thank you. Um, thank you and whether you know it or not uh, for this podcast, uh, because including this one, either you or Garden State Comic Fest... And, and your guests have had a hand in um, five of the interviews on the show to date. So, uh, uh, and they've all been fantastic for me and, and a big thrill. So I'm, I'm glad that I've had a good place to go to. And um, the, the, the friendliness that you guys both exude certainly spills over into your guests because, you know, if uh, you would have told, um, you know, 10-year-old Brad Barton that he was going to get to sit down with Louise Simonson and she was going to be like the best grandma you've ever met or <laughs> wanted to have um, then uh, yeah would have been a pretty happy kid so so thanks for that boys that's pretty cool thank you for more details and tickets on all of the comic fests discussed visit GardenStateComicFest.com and if you need further incentive to attend the Atlantic City Fest specifically, besides the fact that you can meet actor Eric Roberts, animator Bob Camp of Ren and Stimpy fame, Kevin Eastman, co-creator of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, legendary comics artist Jim Starenko, geek-tastic rock band Cybertronic Spree, and about a hundred other remarkable creators, you should also know that I will be there hosting at least one panel. And if you're going to the fest, please let me know. I want to see you there. I want to say hello. You are my tribe, and I want to meet you in person. That's it for this episode of 1.21 Gigawatts. Many thanks to my guests, Dave O'Hare and Sal Zerzolo, and of course, the real-life alter egos of the Relationship Advice Panel, improvisers Alex Brewer and Jason Addis, both of whom were part of last year's Relationship Panel back in episode number 13. Go listen to that. And also, a super-duper huge thanks to actor John Perkis for reprising his Gotham role as Nigel, the Arkham Asylum inmate. He wrote a poem for us people i mean come on you can hear more from john in episode number 24 also a must listen 
And thanks, of course, to you for inviting me into your ears and brain and theater of the mind to nerd out with you. It means more to me than you know. I'd love to hear what you think about this latest audio adventure. What do you like? What deserves to be crushed like a box office record under a Wakandan boot? You too can give feedback and be part of the conversation to one of the show's many social media channels. They are the 1.21 Gigawatts Facebook page where you can follow and discuss the latest film, TV, comic book, and genre entertainment news. On Twitter, I'm at 121Gigawatts, and on Instagram, I'm 1.21 underscore Gigawatts. Plus, you can find all of those feeds in one magnificent destination at the 1.21 Gigawatts website! It has photos, blog entries, every episode to date, newsletter sign-up information, and more. Get thee to www.121geekawatts.com and wallow in the nerdliness. And if you're not already aware, every episode of this podcast is available for free in the podcast section at the iTunes Store. It's so easy to subscribe and never miss a geeky second. You know what I'd really appreciate? Whether you're a subscriber or not, you can leave the show a review, hopefully a good one, on iTunes, which will help more people find the show because algorithms, that's why. And it would make me a very happy, happy man. It will take 30 seconds and could make such a difference to the team behind this podcast. As for the rest of you, if you're not an iTunes person, you can also find us by searching for 1.21 gigawatts at soundcloud.com or on Player FM. Huge gratitude to the Lord of the Low Range, composer and my co-producer, David Sisko. You are and remain the best, Sisko. Dear listener, if you enjoyed this travel-sized chunk of geekitude, please share it with a nerdy friend. You can follow, like, etc. all those social media accounts mentioned a few seconds ago and let people know that you're listening. I'm Brad Barton, and until next time, here's nerd rock band H2Awesome with our radtastic theme song. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Whatever geek wants is what we got From Doctor Who to Aqualad You might meet Luke and Leia's dad Pop culture that is super rad Hosted by some guy named Brad He'll rock you to your nylon Cylon socks 1.21 freaking gigawatts Uh, what do you care about good comics? All you ever buy is Casper the Wimpy Ghost. I think it's sad that you equate friendliness with wimpiness, and I hope it'll keep you from ever achieving true popularity. Well, you know what I think? I think Casper's the ghost of Richie Rich. Hey, they do look alike. I wonder how Richie died. Perhaps he realized how hollow the pursuit of money is and took his own life. Mm, kids, could you lighten up a little? <laughs>